Welcome to Real Life, the program that talks about the life of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond. The people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate with your host, broker associate of Sotheby's International Realty, John Christopher. Welcome back to Real Life, and this is your host, John Christopher. And today I have with me Amadeus Earhart, who is the property manager for Hamptons House Watching. Amadeus, how are you today? I'm good, John. How are you? Great, great. You've been on the program way back when, and I just thought I'd have you back again just to get some uh, insights into uh, property management. So let me ask you, how was the property management business affected by the pandemic? Interesting. You should ask, uh, when the pandemic first came, we thought that we would have a decline in business and the opposite has been true. Uh, basically, we thought because owners were going to be in residence 24-7 that they would have less of a need for us to look over their houses, which traditionally were always second homes only used during the summer season. Instead, what has happened is that the owners are um, very much more appreciative that we're handling their vendor requests and working our connections with the vendors and getting things done while they're preferably not even in residence. That was during the pandemic. Then the other thing that came out is home improvement. We have had a tremendous surge of home improvement um, projects and uh, that we have overseen. So we've done bathroom renovations, we've done kitchen renovations, we've done outside home improvements. We had to put together a lot of outside uh, heaters, much like the ones you find at the, uh, at the restaurants and stuff. So it's, it's been good for us. Mm. Uh, part of it is I think we reached out right when the pandemic started. We let our customers knew, know that we were abiding by CDC uh, rules that we were wearing masks, that we were being very careful. We did not enter any homes without the owners giving us explicit uh, permission, so forth and so on. Yeah. Well, you know, it's kind of interesting what you say that um, uh, it sounds like you've expanded your your realm, so to speak, with the idea that you're now supervising uh, renovations. That's uh, that's beyond the call of uh, property management, isn't it? Or Or now you've just expanded it because that's something you offer. It is. Um, at the same time, it makes sense because we have the relationships with the vendors. And oftentimes when something goes wrong, the owner just calls us to fix it. Now, us being in the Hamptons, sometimes owners just, they, they prefer to replace things rather than to fix them. So it was a natural progression of things to go in into the owner representation service industry, so to say. So what we do is, is we reach out, we'll reach out to four or five vendors sometimes. Sometimes we only reach out to two vendors. We get the owner's quotes and then we present them to the owners and uh, they can pick who they want to go with. Uh, what helps the owners make the decisions is that most likely we have worked with one or two of these companies with in the past. Well, let, let me ask you this question because I know a lot of people find that uh, just trying to find somebody just to replace something, you know, let's, uh, or even getting a plumber, it's difficult because, you know, um, a lot of these guys are doing big jobs, you know, and uh, to do sometimes small things, it's just, you know, we'll get to it and they never show up or when they do, it's like, 
myself right now, I'm going through the problem of uh, getting a mason to do a simple uh, repair. But um, do you have this this uh, rapport with these contractors that when you call them, they, they actually show up and they say, okay, we'll be there Monday and they're there Monday? We do. Well, we have two ways to approach it. But first off, to the root cause of this whole thing, that's the pandemic as well. There's an absolute labor shortage. That could be due to the migrant workers. That could be due to just people preferring to be at home and collect unemployment. It can be due to many things. And then, as you know, we're very um, seasonal here in the Hamptons. So we always have this issue every summer. So the little things, we approach them by handling them in-house. So we have a painter slash woodwork and mason for small work within our own realm. These are, these are guys that uh, I basically call in for small projects. They just take care of things for me and I have them on retainer 24 seven. But as anything else, of course, when the demand goes up, then at some point we have to, um, go to outside companies to do the bigger projects. And yes, that's where our relationships definitely come in because we'll get preferred service because they know that when it comes through us that they're not just giving a quote and then somebody's gone again, they're going to get the job most likely and that they will be paid on time as well. Yeah, I, I think that's important. A lot of people, uh, you know, I know a lot of uh, contractors, sometimes collecting is one of the issues. Correct. Yeah. And okay. that's, that's where we come in because most of our clients, they're long-time relationships that we've probably had five plus years or so. Right. Interesting. What led you to be, uh, become a property manager? I moved out to the Hamptons, I think in 2008. Um, that was the perfect timing for a major real estate depression. I'm uh, <laughs> also. That's right. I'm all, I hadn't thought about that. You're right about that. By, uh, by trade, I am first and foremost a real estate agent. And to be very honest, uh, at the time, I needed to augment my income. And secondly, because of my European background, I had a lot of friends from Europe who have houses here or friends of the family. And they would ask for favors like, hey, can you unlock and do this for that and this and that? And so I decided to turn it into a business. And uh, Hampton's House Watching was born, I believe, either at the end of 2009 or beginning of 2010. And it's been growing ever since. That's fantastic. Uh, speaking of which, you've built up quite a business. So uh, when you first started, were there any hurdles that you had to overcome? Not really. It was kind of learning by doing. And to be honest, I was born into a property manager family. My my dad did it for many years. And prior to him, his father uh, did it. They owned uh, a bit of real estate back in Germany and that, that they managed themselves. That's it. So it's in the genes, basically. You could say so, I guess. <laughs> I never, honestly, I never thought that I would see myself doing this, but right. here I am. And here you are. Isn't that funny how uh, life takes its uh, twists and turns? And Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So are you on call like 24-7? This I am. Yes. Well, let me ask you a question. Um, what was your worst wake-up call? Because I'm sure somebody must have called you at some time like at 3.30 in the morning um, and said, we've got a problem. There, so honestly, none of my clients have ever called me in the middle of the night saying that they have a problem. What is predominantly the issue is that we have alarm companies calling 
And I would say 70% of the time it's a false alarm, but sometimes they're real. For example, uh, you could in the middle of the winter get a cold alarm and that's one that you don't want to ignore. You want to respond immediately to make sure that the house is uh, safe and sound. Uh, and you react by immediately going to the house, make sure that the house has electric and uh, that it has heat so the pipes don't freeze. If they don't, then you take actions and you get uh, the emergency repair services in. As so, far as what is ahead. the worst call I've ever gotten, I, you know, honestly, I can't really recall. Good. That's great. Yeah. That's because uh, uh, you've been managing well, right? Correct. You've Correct. been managing well in the sense that as a you know property manager, you're overseeing the property. So you must be doing something, right? So you're not getting those uh, middle of the night calls, except for, like you say, maybe um, the heating. It's the whole idea, John. It's the whole idea. Be proactive. And that way you do not have these emergency calls. Right. You know, you, you, might, you might think it's crazy, but our office is closed on the weekends. <laughs> and sometimes when we're doing a pitch, the people will ask, well, what do we do on the weekends and I tell them, most likely you will not need us, but you call our emergency line. And if it is a true emergency, we will be there for you. We will take care of it. And uh, seems to work very well. That doesn't mean we don't meet with our clients because we do understand that some of them are only out here on the weekends. So we, we can do that. And that's not an emergency call. But, uh, you know, the, the little worries like change a light bulb or this or that, you send us a to-do list. Every house has a personal email address at our company. And we'll knock it off prior to you coming out again and seeing wow. the house. Right, right, right. Well, that's, uh, that's interesting. Um, have you ever had the house uh, when you've gone there in the middle of the winter and there is no heat? Has that happened or has it just been a false alarm? No, that, that has happened. And so we, we take preventative measures if we can't get a technician in there to fix the heat quickly in order to safeguard the house. But in general, we've been able to pretty much remedy any issue within five hours. And that's quite honestly, is wow. not long enough for a house to get to freezing temperatures. Right. I mean, pipes, basically a house, uh, pipes don't freeze for, and I'm guessing at this, a couple of days. What do you think? I mean, if, you know, the heat goes out, uh, you've got at least two days before you start to have uh, problems with pipes freezing. You know what? It really depends on the homeowners. Some homeowners really like to save money and they keep their houses at oh. say 45 to 50 <laughs> degrees. Right. And those are generally, generally those are not the people who have hired us to safe keep their house, <laughs> but it really, it, it depends on the, the construction, the type of the house and everything else. So I, do, I never want to go on record. Oh, it'll take at least two days because Before. I say the minute we get an alarm saying it's a cold alarm, those are usually set at 45 to 50 degrees. So you're already pretty low on temperature. You want to take immediate action. Exactly. Yeah. It'll get down below 32 quickly. Right. That's true. Right. Um, any tips that you can give uh, or maintenance advice that you could offer homeowners? Keep on top of it. That's all I can say. And that's what we do is, is we go through our houses, we check them every week, and then uh, we take a special inventory at least twice a year, once is be just before the winter to make sure that we're getting our winterizations correctly. And the other is in the spring when we start looking at how well the house held up. And that's usually when all the projects for painting and wood rot and whatever may have blown over and broken come in. And 
that's when we start scheduling electricians and plumbers to fix things and open them up. Be, be proactive. Don't wait till Memorial Day because everybody wants it prior yep. to Memorial Day. Yep, yep, yep. Um, what questions uh, should a homeowner ask a, pr- a prospective uh, property manager before a hiring? Ask them for references from customers. That's, that's good. So, you know, yeah, yeah right. I, I think that's uh, the best. It's, you're, you're right. It's also, uh, you know, because there's certain questions you can ask a uh, real estate uh, broker, but, um, you know, before you hire them or engage them to, to sell your property. But uh, I was just curious, you know, as to, okay, you come along, why are you better than XYZ uh, property managers? Get references, make sure to ask how many properties they have. Make sure to ask how many properties are assigned per property manager. Make sure that they have someone in the office who basically is the quarterback. You would not believe the amount of time that we spend on office work trying to coordinate service appointments with plumbers, with HVAC companies, with 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 uh, septic pool companies that are coming to, to, to pump t- septic uh, pools, for example. It is an incredibly labor intensive job and it gets very intense in, uh, in May, June and July, obviously. Hmm. That, that's fascinating. Um, when a, a new client signs up, uh, do you inspect the property so you know what the uh, shape of the house is at that time? Before you, oh, of uh, course. So, so basically what, what we have is uh, when a new client calls us, we go in, we pitch them, we get to know the house. And it is only after we get to know the house that we uh, give them our proposal uh, with our retainer fee and explain to them what we can do for them. We already know the house. But once the client really signs up, then what we do is, is we go in uh we have various property managers they are assigned areas but we never just have one person who knows a house top to bottom we have at least two so that means if one of them is out or not on call the other one knows exactly what's going on and then we also have a database of where things are located so we take pictures for example of where's the bottom main located in the house so what do you need the most probably in case of an emergency the water main so that's uh, the ABCs, I, I would say, of, of, of property management. You know where your utilities are located, so you can shut them off within minutes of arriving at the house. Well, you, you were saying uh, you take a proactive uh, approach. Uh, what kind of things do you uh, sometimes recommend uh, taking care of uh, now instead of later? And are there like most common, what are the most common things that you, when you deal the with outside it. of that, the outside of the house, look at your house, look for mildew, mildew that's prolonged and on cedar shingles, for example, which are very predominant out here. They will, they will start just digging into your cedar shingles and they will, they will take live, take years off of the life of a shingle. So what we do is, is we recommend having your house. Some people call it power washing. It's not power washing. Just have your house washed and and have your house treated and then also be proactive in painting especially if your house is anywhere close to the ocean or 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 the bay Hmm. yeah i know salt uh, air can really uh wreak havoc on a a home yep yep Yep. that's 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 very good um so let me ask you how can uh, someone get in touch with you if they have some some questions 
It's very easy. Either you can uh, use uh, the good old internet, go on Google and put in Hamptons House Watching. We'll be the first company that comes up, obviously. Or you can call our office at 631-977-7001. Or come visit us in our office in Bridgehampton. We're right on Main Street, 2405 Main Street. Fantastic. Amadeus, thank you so much for coming on the program. And right now, we're in the midst of uh, WLIW's $50,000 Community Matching Gift Challenge. So please help us to reach that goal by going online at WLIWFM.org to see some samples of our great thank you gifts or call 800-262-0717 and have your gift count during our $50,000 Community Matching Gift Challenge. In the meantime, this is John Christopher for Real Life Broadcasting on 88.3 WLIWFM. We'll be right back with our next guest. Welcome back to Real Life, and this is your host, John Christopher. And today I have with me Robert Kateen, a Manhattan broker for Corcoran. Hi, Bob. How are you? I'm good, John. How are you? Great. Well, it's been quite a year, hasn't it, Bob? When the, uh, uh, yep. <laughs> I think, I think ahead, you say that again. <laughs> you could say that many times, right? Yes. Well, let me ask you this question. So when the pan- pandemic hit, it seemed like everybody was abandoning the city to come out here in the Hamptons. But what happened to the market in the city then? Well, I can say one thing. I'm glad I'm not a commercial real estate broker in Manhattan. Um, but uh, as you know, uh, since you also are in the Hamptons market, yes, a lot of people from the city uh, bailed out and um, headed out to the east end of Long Island to ride out the pandemic. If we go back, though, and look at the year 2019, it's interesting to see how this has all turned everything upside down. In 2019, I probably made less money in real unadjusted dollars than I did in 1978. And it was just a dismal market in the Hamptons. And then all of a sudden came March of 2020 and the pandemic shut down and everybody wanted out of New York and into the East End. I didn't have a real bad 2019 only because of the amount of transactions I was involved in in Manhattan and the boroughs. This past year, it's been exactly the opposite. Um, What I've done on the east end of Long Island is one of the better years that I've had. And the year in Manhattan has been dismal, uh, including the boroughs. So, you know, the, the prices. Yeah, that, that's missed. the question I was just going to ask you about prices. I, I, I've seen them come down. Uh, yeah, I mean, the prices have come down, but the problem is no one wanted to go into Manhattan, especially in the beginning of the pandemic when New York State was one of the highest uh, infection rate states in the country. So, at any price, people didn't want to be there. Um, And then, of course, you had a lot of people that 
are in lower income um, and and couldn't afford to give up what they had to move out to the east because they couldn't afford to do that. Mm-hmm. So what you had was a major decline in transactions rather than a major decline in pricing. Interesting. Okay. So, um, so did you, you, okay. People came out here, they said, okay. And, and obviously there were people that still wanted to sell. I know there was a lot of people leaving the city because they said, I've gone down to Florida. Now I put my house, I put my condo or co-op on the market. Um, what was it like? Uh, did you do any open houses then? I mean, well, in, in Manhattan, we were doing all of the open houses virtually. So nobody would be, go to the elevator and come up. I guess nobody was going in elevators at that point. Uh, pretty much in the beginning, that was the case. As things progressed, way before they started getting better, but as they progressed, we did see people coming to open houses by appointment only. And they would go up to the apartment, uh, you know, would go through all of the precautions, uh, wearing masks. And in those days, pretty much also wearing uh, gloves. Homeowners would leave all the closets open so no one would have to touch the doors to open a door to look in. And um, that's how you did showings beyond virtual, but mm. probably did 75% of everything virtual. And then when anything got close enough that someone was that interested after the virtual tour, then you went through coming up with some way to get them to actually be able to see it. It's the first time that I've ever seen virtual closings in my 50 years of selling real estate. Right, right. Let me ask you a question. When you're talking about virtual, I was thinking because you deal a lot with uh, uh, co-op boards. Um, Was that uh, all of a sudden now dealing with them virtually? Well, you know, it went from no transactions really happening, so there was no need for it, to finally having Zoom meetings um, to do board interviews and those types of things that normally would be done face-to-face. Right. Now, I would think that uh, doing face-to-face, especially with the board, would be you'd have a better shot as compared to uh, virtual because, you know, it's not the same thing as the person-to-person, I feel. No, that's very true. Uh, But what I did see with the few transactions I did in the city last year were some of the uh, board members uh, wouldn't even go to the Zoom meetings. Instead of having the full board president, you right. might only have two or three people from the board. And it was like, okay, if these people are willing to move into the city or move into our building, there, there must be something good about them. So <laughs> so, that, so that's interesting. Okay. Um, let me ask you another thing. Uh, are some boards easier than others? Oh, always. always. How so? How's that? Well, you know, some buildings, especially boutique buildings, I live in a converted church that was built in 1839. Uh, There's only 14 uh, co-ops in it. So we're a little knit community that um, 
everybody knows everybody and somebody moves into the building, you're going to be around them all the time. Hmm. Down the end of the block, there's a building with 300 apartments. So somebody may move in there and it could be like the old adage about New York City in that you don't even know the person that lives in the apartment next to you. Right. So the boards will, will be different. Um, partially because of that, um, I, I hate to say this sometimes because of snobbery, mm-hmm. um, but yes, it, it's very wise to work with a real estate agent for a building that you're interested in that knows what the nuances are of that board. Interesting. And how, how does one gain that knowledge? Uh, you know, trial time. and error, hit yeah, and right. miss. <laughs> uh, you, know, <laughs> you remember what this time was. Well, right. Well, that, that gives me an, another question. I mean, sometimes you have buyers that have the stellar credentials and still you, you don't make the, the deal with the board, right? Have you oh, had- I mean, look at the Dakota, okay? Mm-hmm. As an example. When Nixon wanted to move into Manhattan. He had plenty of money. He certainly had a name recognition. They blackballed him. They wouldn't let him move into the building. Um, There's other buildings that want you to have a mortgage and they want you to have a mortgage because the building's too small to really do good due diligence. So they figure if you get a mortgage, the bank has done to do oh, interesting. That's that's. It. I never thought of that. Okay. Where there's other boards that won't accept a mortgage, you have to pay cash. So it varies all over the place. Right. Well, like you say, I guess it comes with experience. You learn which boards. Uh, it's not just selling the um, the unit. It's learning the intricacies. Well, you have to, John, because yeah. here's the problem. I could spend weeks, months, years even, showing property to a prospective buyer and then go in for the board interview and get a turn down. Hmm. And then I've just wasted a whole load of time, right. wasted the customer's time, who's now very unhappy with me that they got all excited about this apartment or condo or townhouse or whatever, mm-hmm. and they're not getting it. Right. So. It really behooves us to know whether we have a really good chance or not of making it all the way through to the closing table. Because as you know, you can't spend it until you actually see green. (laughs) Who said that? (laughs) I like that. Um, So do co-op boards have to give a reason why they don't want uh, somebody in their building? Well, you know, Again, in a small building, you would like the people to be compatible. Now, under fair housing laws, you can't discriminate. Correct. Okay. However, I will tell you this. The majority of people don't want to live in a building where the building doesn't want them. Hmm. So if there's a good indication that there's a potential of a turndown, then, you know, some people just walk away. But with all the testers that are out there from the Department of State, everybody has to be on their best behavior. 
And the old way of doing a blackball system where you could just turn somebody down because you didn't like the color of their hair or something, uh, you have to be very careful with that. When I was the president of the board for my building for a number of years, I went and took a training course for board presidents just so I wouldn't get myself in trouble. Hmm. Yeah, that, it makes sense. You get you got to uh, CYA, as they say. Um, we got like maybe 20 seconds. Uh, do you see the market changing in the city? I see it starting slowly to come back. I think, again, uh, people are starting to feel comfortable. The theaters, uh, movie theaters at least, are opening up. Uh, it looks like Broadway will probably open up in September and museums are available now. So the culture is drawing people back. Great. So how can somebody get in touch with you? Easiest way is send me an email, Robert period Katine, K-I-T-T-I-N-E at Corcoran.com. Robert Katine. As always, a pleasure having you on the program. This is John Christopher for Real Life Broadcasting here in Southampton, New York, on the only NPR station on Long Island, WLIW 88.3 FM. Thank you again so much for listening. And remember, have an awesome journey. You have been listening to Real Life the program that talks about the people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond with host John Christopher, who also created the music for real life. WLIWFM's Delaney Hafner and Kyle Lynch provide production support. Thank you for joining us for Real Life right here on listener-supported 88.3 WLIWFM Long Island's only NPR station, which you can also find on your favorite streaming apps and at wliw.org radio.